there still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So as always, context is key. What just happened prior to this passage? We have Abraham being promised a child, being promised Isaac, that his wife in her old age would bear a son. And now, as the father of this great nation, of this great multitude, Abraham is being told by God what justice and righteousness looks like. He is seeing the example of the good and righteous God. God is going to uphold his just standard against a wicked people. You see, this is like a king in medieval times upholding his standard of justice throughout the land and being right and merciful, but he has an ambassador that he has brought up from a peasant and that he has found him in his royal court. But this ambassador hears that this king is going to pour his wrath upon the people. What was that look? (laughs) Oh, okay. I was making sure everything was right. Sorry, I thought everything was, something was going wrong. But the king is going to pour his wrath upon this sad village who are going against his laws, are going against his ways. But this ambassador knows that he's a just king. And as a just king, he won't punish the righteous along with the wicked. So he cries to the king, he says, you wouldn't punish those who don't deserve it. You are righteous, so far be it from you to punish the righteous for the wicked, that for the righteous' sake you'll have mercy on the town as a whole for the wicked. And the king says he knows this servant's heart. He says he loves this servant, but he knew the request might be futile, but he would honor it. He said, for the sake of ten, I'll even spare the city. And we see this royalty that God is. He's got this perfect higher standard than ours, but he wishes to show it in his way and show that there's a real consequence. There's real justice that he upholds that is a part of his character. And so to really understand this passage, we have to understand uh, two groups of people. We have to understand who is wicked and who 
is righteous. What what does it mean when we say that these people were wicked? What is the standard that we hold these people to that we call them wicked by? And well, the standard is God's standard. It is God's justice, God's righteousness. God is holy. God is just. God is perfect. God's law is holiness. And if we break any part of that law, we are unrighteous. There is no partial righteousness. No matter what we do, we cannot atone for that on our own works because all of our works are stained with sin. That is the issue. We are wicked by birth, by nature. We cannot do right. But how can we be made right if Abraham is pleading for the righteous? Well, in Genesis fifteen six. A few chapters ago, we understood how we can be made righteous, and it's the same today. Abraham had faith, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham was the righteous in this case, interceding for the wicked. And now we can understand the cosmic court case, as we call it, that Abraham is defending the wicked and There's no need for a prosecutor because we do that well enough on our own. You see that the wicked don't really understand their predicament. The attorney who is defending the wicked, Abraham, he understands something that we as wicked did not. He understands that God is holy and just and righteous. He understands that there is true wrath for sin there is a punishment that needs to be implemented whenever the law is not upheld when we break the law we deserve punishment abraham is defending those who he is supposed to be the opposite of god had appointed abraham to be the leader of this great nation as a father of isaac of this great multitude he has to know what justice and mercy and righteousness look like in order to lead them in the way of God, in the way of the Lord, as, as the writer of Genesis puts it. So in this court case, however, we're all guilty. If we're all guilty, is there any hope for us? Well, in the New Testament, we see it, that we can be made righteous, but that righteousness is not of our own. It's not our own work. You see that Abraham is an imperfect man. He's righteous, but he cannot intercede on their behalf perfectly. We need somebody greater on our behalf, somebody who completely fulfills the law, and that is an alien righteousness that we cannot get, and that is something that we get from Jesus Christ. We get the righteousness of Jesus if we have faith, if we believe in him. The faith that we have, we will be accredited Jesus's righteousness if we believe in what he did because there is real wrath on real sin there is real punishment for breaking God's law and you see the wrath that was stored up for us who are sinners who are wicked was poured out on Jesus Christ you see that the wrath that God had no longer abides on us there is no wrath we are completely justified by the work of Jesus Christ because he completely upheld the law. He completely obeyed the law. He completed it. He fulfilled it all. He was the culmination of God's revelation, as a bright theologian once said. And this alien 
blood-bought righteousness accomplishes two things for us in relating to this passage. First, I would say that it grants us eternal life by making us new in the Holy Spirit. It allows us to see who the wicked and who the righteous are. It humbles us understanding that we needed a new nature to depart from this wickedness. It helps us to see that as the wicked, we deserved wrath, we deserved punishment. But by the work of Jesus Christ, we have a new heart, a new mind. We have ears to hear, eyes to see. We can understand that we are made right before God. We have no more condemnation. There is no more wrath. It is good news. And secondly, it grafts us into the spiritual family of Abraham that when Christ died, we were grafted into the family of Israel. We were made the church, one body, the body of Christ, where I made one family, one Father God. And so our Father God, He leads us. As our Father, He is an example to us to obey, to follow. And you see that God was com commanding as Abraham to follow God's example, to understand what justice and righteousness was. And so as the spiritual children of Abraham grafted into this family and ultimately God's children, I think there are two things that we should learn from this passage, two things that we can apply to our lives from this <coughs> passage. First, from Abraham, he is modeling mercy. He is modeling pleas for mercy, praying for the wicked, praying for people, evangelizing. I think that from this passage, we need to see that we once too were wicked. We were under condemnation, but because of the promise that God has given us, we plea on others' behalf. We ask God for mercy on behalf of the righteous, that we weren't righteous, but by the righteousness of Christ, that he would have mercy on the wicked, that he would impart life to them, that he would save them from the coming wrath, that we would pray for them incessantly, always, that God would hear us every time that we pray, and that we would do it without ceasing. Secondly, as ultimately God's children, we see our Father as the holy and right standard we live by, as our Father figure, as the one we follow, the one we see, because God is perfect, and we are not. That's the problem, right? But now as God's children, we can see that we have a standard, we have a God to follow, and He is perfect. He is just. He is righteous. And in chapter 18, in verse, let me find it, I forgot to mark that back. In verse 18, he says that, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, chosen Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. The way of the Lord is doing righteousness and and justice. So once we have been made right by God, we can do right. We can be just. We have been made just so we can live just, live righteous lives. We can do what God has called us to do. Even when we stumble, when we fall, we see that the punishment for that sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. And we should know that even in this time of chaos and disorder that 
We have a God who's in control of it all that ultimately now and forever that we should use all of our time that we have on this earth to pray for others, to love God, to seek righteousness, to follow the Lord, to seek to obey his commands and to uphold justice and righteousness because there is wrath on wickedness, but for the righteous God has mercy. For the sake of the one righteous man, Jesus Christ, he has mercy on sinners like you and me. So at the end of the day, what we should take hold of is that we have plenty of time in this quarantine, I think, that we should know that we can seek God even more fully. We can look at his word more often now. We have more time on our hands to be with our family, to read the word, to pray together, to pray that God would have mercy on the wicked and that we could use this as an opportunity to evangelize, to show the gospel, to show that we have a greater hope than what this current life has to offer, that God has mercy on sin, that God has mercy because of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's take this message into the world. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for the wicked and praise God that he has mercy on us because of the righteous man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word. Father, thank you for the tool that you have given us, technology that we can still gather together in a limited fashion, Lord, that we can read your word, that we can love your word, Lord, that we can seek your mercy every day, Father, that we know that we've been made righteous, that we can rest in them. God, I pray that everyone struggling with sin this morning, that whatever it is, if it's a frequent <coughs> sin, Lord, that we would seek to kill that sin, but Lord, that at the end of the at the end of the day, Jesus died for that sin. We have been made totally righteous if we have faith in God. If we have faith we will be right. Lord, I pray for all those out there today that don't know you, that if anybody's listening this morning, watching this live stream, that they would know that there's a real God who has real wrath on sin, but there's real forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that what they need to do is have faith and it will be forgiven. Lord, we praise you, we love you, and we seek your will, and we seek your face every day. Help us to Seek justice and righteousness, Lord.